You're listening to The Business Marketing Show, episode number 56. You can find us at businessmarketingshow.com on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Welcome to The Business Marketing Show. I'm Brendan. I'm here with my co-host, Ed. Good morning, Ed. How are you? Hey, Brendan. How are you this morning? Good, good. So, uh, today we're doing another blueprint episode. I guess this one's a bit more, well, I'm not going to say looser than the other one, but. Um, <laughs> looser? What are you trying to say? <laughs> I just. We've only don't just, interrupt. We, Jeez, interrupting me. Getting me out of my flow. We've, we've, well, we've, we've only just started, and you're going down that path already, Brendan. Come on now. It's it's less of a blueprint and I guess more of a, a guide, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and this one is more aimed, I don't want to say corporate because that kind of like means like big massive company, but uh, we both work with bigger companies, not necessarily. Well, you could call them corporate. They might not call themselves corporate, but um, typically they have an in-house marketing person or a marketing department. So there are some commonalities we see when working with this particular type of client, um, in you know, in terms of gaps and what they know, um, you know, their awareness of the tool set and tactics and strategies mm-hmm. available to them, and that's typically the, the kind of work we do. It's a bit more, I guess. I, I mean, I don't want to speak for you entirely, but it's a bit more consulting focused versus, I guess, the more tactical stuff. So yeah, yeah. So in this episode, we'll cover, I guess, more of the tools available and some of the, the strategies and tactics around using those for internal marketing departments. Fantastic. And so typically the size of those businesses will vary, but it's, you know, I find the ones we're working with are usually between, in terms of employee size, somewhere between five to 50 staff, somewhere in that range. <laughs> um, turnovers somewhere in sort of a million to 10 million. Usually they're sitting in that space. So yeah, sort of, even even bigger, like you know, I guess the bigger they go, the more kind of consulting focused they are. Because yeah. we have that, you know, bigger corporate entities with hundreds of staff and well over a hundred million turnover as well. So um, yeah, I wouldn't just limit it to the low end, but I guess yeah. yeah but t- but typically, vary. but say so, yeah, and it's the same for us. We've got different size clients, but really, this the the principles are the same really for any, for any of them. So it just depends on who they've got in their staff that are taking care of this. And if they don't, then that's where they need to get someone external like us, Brendan. <laughs> that's a plug. We don't do advertising. We just advertise ourselves. <laughs> so what are we, what are we going to go for first? So, um, the right sort of tool set to, to measure. Well, well let, let's. Start at the beginning. So typically these are people who have a marketing department or they have at least one marketing person who is making up the marketing department. Yeah. But they also have a sales team or a sales department or a team of sales personnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, what we very commonly see is, which is very strange, uh, often the marketing and sales team are, are almost opposing each other. Like they've, they're almost enemies and completely – Sometimes they're completely doing or doing completely different things. Yeah, there's no uh, there's no bridge between the two of them. So absolutely, uh, I guess as a broad strokes point, that 
they need to be communicating because often marketing does their thing and then they, sales does their thing and they both complain about each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've always found it funny that the common terminology that's used is sales and marketing. It should really be called marketing and sales because the marketing happens first, the sales happen second. So if, if what you're saying is, is right, which is often what we find as well, is if the marketing department and the sales department aren't on the same page, aren't working off the same strategy, then they've got this disjointed thing going on that uh, ends up the the results are nowhere near as good as they could be if they had the, the communication, like you said. So, yeah. So I think that's one is there really needs to be communication there. Um, and I find which is, it's really terrible, but I find often in the corporate space the goal is often not so much focused on generating results or getting leads in the door or, or whatever it is it's often to just spend the budget regardless of what the result is. So I think there's a couple of parts that I guess need to go into this. One is sales and marketing need to be on the same page and working off the same strategy and the same set of goals. Um, and there needs to be some, I guess, tracking that works of leads or whatever, or tracking of activity and customers across both departments and I think they really need to be clear on what the goals are there. So they need to get people in the door. They need to be handed off to sales in some clean fashion. They need to be tracked. Um, and, you know, they need to be tracked right through from the marketing point to the sales. So we yeah. need to know whether spending $100,000 this month on this advertising or this strategy or this channel, it's generated this many leads or inquiries or whatever it is. We have this many people in the CRM or the sales tracking system and then this is what happened to them and that needs to be, at a minimum, needs to be bought something or didn't buy something. We need to be able to see that ideally from start to finish so we can say, well, this $100,000 spend created this many leads and this many of them bought, this many of them didn't. Yeah. And that's you know, at the basic framework for the tracking we're talking about and this kind of cohesion where the two, the, the marketing and sales teams work together as one in effect. Yeah, and so that's where we find it falls over quite often is we we get the marketing side working and we get the traffic and, and we get the conversion in terms of, in, in this case, I'm referring to maybe lead generation. And the sales department, that's where their job is then to deal with that lead and follow up or make the conversion from the from the website into a real customer or, or whatever it is. And often that's where it falls over and they're not tracking what's happening from that point. So... Because often things that happen in the sales space, people not converting or problems with the sale often originate in the marketing. There might be the wrong message. There might not be heavy enough. You know, the qualifying and filtering can be done in the marketing end of things um, before it hits sales. Because sales is expensive. Like if we talk about, you know, people are often confused what's the difference between sales and marketing. And one easy way to, you know, there's lots of different ways to explain it. But one easy way that we use when talking with clients is marketing is, is one to many, so you're talking to many people as a broad group, whereas sales is more one to one. It's it's face to face with a customer. It's one, your company and the customer. So there's, yeah, that's typically how it, a easy way to define it and understand the difference between the two. Yes, I agree one hundred percent, Brendan. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so how do people put something in place to ma- to manage this what's what's the best next step say beginning at the beginning 
So what do you recommend people use in terms of tracking? And there's so many different tools out there that people can use. Um, a lot of them are relatively inexpensive to use and others get into you know much, much higher costs. So it depends on the size of business and what, they, what their outcomes are, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it, I guess it really depends. Like often there'll be something in place already that just needs a little bit of work to at least capture like the source of those leads, I guess. So typically sales teams have something in place that's tracking customers. Um, uh, and it's just a matter of, or I guess, kind of integrating that with marketing and marketing activities better. So you have kind of end-to-end visibility of what's happening with that that customer prospect as they move through the sales process. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't have a good answer is it's the bottom line, but ideally there needs to be some sort of CRM customer tracking system in place that can track the customer where they came from up until the point after which they bought, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where they could use something like Salesforce or, I mean, that's a, a sort of fairly high end platform but something of a similar nature to be able to track those conversions yeah i mean there's still i mean there's plenty of basic cms systems out there that you like, can get. yeah Zoho salesforce and, is, yeah like salesforce is a beast right like it is yeah it's a, it's a very very big platform with many different parts to it so someone yeah you gotta you gotta start somewhere and mm-hmm. and this is where it, it, i think it gets very confusing for people because there are so many different options of what they can use out there. So you've got to find something that's going to fit your budget and ultimately what you're trying to get it to do. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, one that we often have clients that they're using is something like Zoho, which is a pretty common uh, CRM. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Others that you, Any others that you would suggest are worth looking at? I know one, but I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. Okay. But yeah, I mean, there's plenty of that entry-level space, I guess, and plenty of them have a free trial where you can get in and and um, play around. I guess, like, uh, it needs to be simple to use. Like, it, the, it doesn't need to be super complex. And no. There is a tendency to go, oh, Salesforce is what we use, but often, like, that $20 a month product will do the basic tracking that you need to do. Ultimately, I guess it depends on the size of the business, the length and complexity of the sales cycle as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the dollar amount. You know, it's if a if a average sale size is a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars, it's a lot different to if the average sale is a thousand dollars. Like if there's more, yeah. you know, there's more at risk. There's more to win. There's more buffer in there to you know be spending money on sales processes and tools and things like that. Yeah. So. Awesome. Cool. So uh, okay, so now we got that out of the way. So what? Do you want to talk tactics next? Yeah, oh, we'll talk sure. tactics. One of our favourite things, Tic Tacs. They're tasty and they keep your breath fresh. Oh, sorry, wrong thing. You're talking about tactics, not Tic Tacs. My bad. That's a terrible dad oh, joke. Yeah, terrible dad joke. Off your game today, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do, do, should we start with the low-hanging fruit? We've got here a few things on the list, but I think Google Maps, Google places uh apple maps and bing maps it's probably uh from my perspective is usually done pretty badly in uh by most of these corporate um entities yes uh and often they do have multiple offices or locations and often they're franchises so we do have several franchise clients where we're doing things like managing maps listings uh which is a huge deal right 
It is because if you don't look, everyone's using their mobile phones to to look something up. So if the map layout and display isn't set up properly, and they're seeing in, inaccurate data or nothing at all because it hasn't hasn't been inputted properly by the business owner, and, or it may only just be showing the head office. I come across that a lot. You know, there's there's 15 different branches. But you, all you've all you get is the head office. We go, well, what the heck? How useful is that when I'm trying to find something in, you know, a certain suburb? So, yeah, it, it, I don't know what it is, but people don't seem to give it the importance and the focus that it should have. Yeah, yeah, I think particularly because it's you know, for some of these businesses, the person coming to you and visiting you is probably one of the top three conversion elements or the, the top three things you want the customer to do. So. Hmm. I think uh, having every location on Google Maps at a minimum, uh, having at least having a review strategy in place, so you're getting reviews on those map listings, positive reviews, mm. uh, because as we know, they get more exposure. Once you have five reviews or more on each listing, it gets a star rating, yep. which makes it stand out in the search results a lot more. Uh having a review management strategy in place because it's inevitable you are going to get bad reviews uh, at some point. Yep. Uh, no business exists without unhappy, unhappy customers. It's just a fact of doing business. Ab- terrible, ab- right? Absolutely. There's no so, two ways uh, about it. Yeah, I mean, we can't, it's just not realistic to stick your head in the sand and do nothing. So it's better to have a review management monitoring strategy in place than not. Uh, and then probably making sure that the data in those uh, listings is up to date. You have good quality photos, and if it's if they're retail locations, probably worth investing in Google Street View photography for inside each of those locations. Mm. Uh, so that means that I'm sure people, if you're listening, you know what Google Street View is. You go to the maps, you can see the 3D picture of the street or whatever. Yep, uh, that is available for inside places as well. So you can get a Google trusted photographer, I think they're called. Yeah, they're sort of like a, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, they're a partner, I suppose you would say. Yeah. Like like you would be a Google AdWords or partner. They they are um, authorised by Google to go and do the photography and do like the, the 360 degree shots inside and all that sort of stuff. Yep. So I would say do that. As a, like a... Because that can be quite costly. Like, let's say, you know, it might cost you 500 bucks or a thousand bucks location. A location. Uh, you can now do it. Uh, Google has something called Google Photo Sphere. Mm-hmm. We can DIY that. And the photos generally go live within uh, 24 hours. Yeah. So you can download this, the Photo Sphere app. Do the, it needs to be like a proper 360 degree photo. The app tells you how to take it. Uh, and that will start appearing on Google Street View. And we use that actually. That is quite good for where the Street View outside the physical location is out of date or it shows a different business. So we've had several clients where they're like, you know, the Street View, we moved in here two years ago and it still shows the, you know, the, the photo from the previous tenant with their signage and everything else. Yeah. So we have them take their phone out, do the photosphere, and uh, yeah. within kind of 24 hours, they have brand new. There's also the old Street View, but then it has the new Photosphere Street View there as well. Yeah, and it's just like the, the it's, you know how you would do a 
a panoramic shot on your your phone. It just stitches it all together. You stand in one spot and turn in a circle, um, and it puts it all together. So it's pretty clever. Yeah, technology, Ed, and it's free. Technology and it's the free, yeah. That's that's even better. So that's yeah, that's an extra thing you can do if you don't have the budget to get someone to do it. So it's a, a very good tip. Yeah, but I think yeah, that's a massive gap, and that's you know not just clients I see it with. It's just all businesses, even my own bank, and you know we're not talking about little businesses here when we're talking about banks. So that's a massive gap, and a lot of these companies are spending millions on TV ads, and yet something that's very relatively simple like managing those locations is done poorly. So that you know, there's Google, then there's Bing, and then there's Apple Maps. Those would be the – obviously, Google is probably the most important. And then, then Apple, Apple Maps, then, and then Bing that, Maps. Yeah, Bing. <laughs> I'm sure there's someone out there using Bing Maps. I don't do you, know. Do you Bing it regularly? I don't Bing anything, mate. Oh, seriously, <laughs> I can't remember the last time I've used Bing. Uh, I mean, I do do Bing advertising for some clients, and that's, that gets pretty decent results, but – in terms of maps and various things, um, he's you know look ninety percent of people are out there they're using Google as their search engine on their on their phone, yeah. Uh, so that's what they're going to see, or they they use the uh, the Apple Maps app. So yeah, that one's a one that's often forgotten, and we do get that with our clients from time to time that the we have their maps listing and Google uh, Apple decide to update it and the location's wrong. So yeah. Thing is, you should you should be across all of them regardless because it yep. doesn't look good if your business if someone does find it and and it's you know incorrect as you say incorrect address or whatever it is. So just make sure the three of them are up to date. Yeah, uh, probably one more thing to add is having a page for each location on the website. So that's also important as well. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Cool. Not, yeah. Awesome. All, all right. right. Then we've got things like Google AdWords. AdWords. You want to talk about AdWords? Um, you're, you're the Mr. AdWords in our oh, relationship. Oh, look, um, uh, in, in our relationship. Oh, in our relationship. In our podcasting. That's lovely. Uh, yeah, so in terms of Google AdWords, that is an area that we find uh, a lot of people, there's still even 12, 13 years after AdWords has been around, um, not sure of the value of potentially using AdWords and are only focusing on SEO, which I think is a mistake because they're missing out on a lot more opportunity with what they can get in front of with AdWords and the scope because it's a lot harder, as you know, to be optimized for hundreds of keyword terms in SEO compared to the ability to set up an ad campaign in, in Google. It's a lot quicker. The results are a lot faster. And you have a lot more flexibility on what you can turn on and what you can turn off. So if you've got promotions or various... Uh, Locations that you want to promote differently, you can you know, split those up. So we we're talking about doing different uh, maps for different locations where you can set up different Google AdWords campaigns for different locations for your company. So, yep. so they're not all going to operate exactly the same. So one, uh, one location in WA may have something that they want to promote that's different to yep. one in the Eastern States. Um, an example of that, and this is one that's happened several times, is uh, if, as an example, there's a company that may be a windscreen repair company and they're based in Perth and we have a hailstorm in Perth, then they want to be able to act uh, and make sure their advertising can capture that initial 
uh, instant reaction for people searching online if they've got damaged windscreens or windows, mm-hmm. then they can tailor their ads very, very quickly in the matter of minutes to capture the demand for that uh, input searches. So that's something you can't do with SEO because it would take too long for it to happen. You'd miss the opportunity. And the, the companies or the the, uh, the the outlets in Melbourne and Sydney and wherever else aren't having that issue at the time because there's no hailstorms. So that's an example of being able to use AdWords to be flexible across different locations if you have a multi-branch business. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, more broadly, like you have more control, better accountability. It's faster than almost every other marketing channel you have, probably except for email marketing. Um, and it's still compared to other channels, it's still cheap. Like, um, And it's still performance-based too, right? You don't pay unless yeah. someone's on an ad. Exactly. And people sort of forget that that you, uh, you're you not paying unless you get that visitor. Now, you want to get the right visitor, and that's where often a lot of issues happen as well. People aren't targeting the right people, and they're getting wasted clicks. So assuming that your campaign has been set up correctly and you are targeting the right um, end user or visitor that you want to get the ideal client, then that advertising dollar is certainly going to uh, get you further than typical traditional old versions of advertising like radio and yellow pages and TV. Uh, and they're, they're all, you know, they're in their death throes, a lot of these particular formats, because people aren't using them anymore. They're just not there. Um, and- I think one, uh, one thing that a lot of marketing departments struggle to get their head around is the difference between having to create demand and awareness and actually capturing active demand. Um, yeah. Which are, I, I find that often some of the clients will struggle with that idea that people who are searching have active demand. And depending on the search term, they have varying levels of demand and intent. Uh, but it's very different. Your strategy needs to be different than just running a, for example, like a full page newspaper ad to completely different people you're advertising to in a different buying state. So, um, yeah, it's uh, some of that traditional advertising marketing approach that bigger businesses use doesn't translate well across to search. And that's often why they don't see the results they could possibly get. Um, and working, you should never, you know, these you know, internal marketing departments should never be DIYing its own AdWords for starters. Um, just like it wouldn't DIY its own TV ads or something like that. Uh, but often they try to, which is a shame because they're really kind of kneecapping themselves. Yeah. Well, the simplicity of access is the thing that lets gives people that false sense of knowledge because it's relatively easy just to go and open up a Google AdWords campaign and there's there's quite a bit of guidance within on how how to do it but most people they're only using sort of 5% you know the tip of the iceberg so and the the common mistakes that I often find when we're going in and setting up setting up ad, ad campaigns or or fixing ad campaigns is that, that you know they're just doing all the rookie mistakes that are costing them money, targeting the wrong keyword terms, basic settings set up so it's just not being effective. So you know, and that that costs you. And, and quite often people will then base their whole you know experience of AdWords on their inexperience, and then they say AdWords doesn't work, which is crazy. You know, so you've got to really give it the right 
amount of time and people give up too quickly. They'll try it for a few weeks and go, oh, yeah, blah, 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 didn't didn't get enough traffic. But again, it comes down to there was a whole combination of things they didn't have set up correctly and they didn't give it enough time. So get the right people to do it. That's for sure. Yep, yep. So, well, that, I mean, that's AdWords for search, right? Do we want to talk about SEO? We do. Like of course, of course we want to talk about SEO, Brendan. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny. There's a, the, I mean, there's a lot of SEO has changed, just like AdWords has. Um, these tools and technologies evolve very quickly over time. Mm. And an approach to something that worked five years ago is not going to work today. Um, probably the biggest mistake in corporate land and that I see marketing departments make is thinking that one, SEO is quick uh, and that someone can actually guarantee results. They can't uh, because they don't really have ultimate control. You could probably guarantee some sort of result in AdWords, but I don't think you do an SEO. Mm. Uh, and probably the other big mistake is focusing on keywords first instead of focusing on what products and services you want to sell. So that's been – so we changed our strategy a few years ago to have clients. So people come come along and they want to rank for some keyword. I want to be number one for this term. and It just doesn't – that approach doesn't work anymore. It doesn't make sense in today's world anymore because it's not outcome focused. Like, a, you know, it doesn't start with what do we want to sell and working backwards from there. So that if, if I could give one piece of – uh, SEO advice to someone listening who is you know, working on a marketing team, it's that the first step in any SEO campaign is sit down, make a list of what you actually want to sell and prioritize that list. So that would be the first step. Forget about keywords, forget about anything else, what do you actually want to sell? So yeah. the second step of that is you need a page for every one of those products and services you want to sell. Without a page, you can't rank. It's, it's such simple logic. You cannot rank for a term that you don't have content for on the website. And there are there are exceptions. There are ways to get around it that are dodgy. There would be black hat. But we're, we're talking about corporate marketing here. Logic, stuff that actually works, you absolutely have to have a standalone page for one of those products and services. Without that, you have zero chance of ranking. You shouldn't even be looking at competitors. Like people start looking at competitors and see what they're doing. It's completely wrong. It's like start with what What do you want? Yep. You want to sell? Do you have a page for each one of those? I mean, that's that's step one. Like that's the only place you can start with SEO today, I think. 100%. And I say it all the time. Like we're just, uh, we've got a new client who's a, a law firm and um, they did not have separate pages for the sort of four or five main areas that they were trying to attract um clients for they had a they had a page that had them all listed it had a picture and it had the main sort of wording of what their that particular um service was and that was all on one page for all of them and there was no more content like there was nothing so i'm going well first of all how is google supposed to know anything about that and second of all when the visitor gets there if they ever get there which would be a miracle then there's nothing for them to read about what the service is or give any explanation of of uh, what's on offer. So logic seems to go out the door in terms of <laughs> a lot of stuff we see on websites. So you know, even though even you know, I know you're saying it's it's obvious and logical, and we I think the same, but we do often forget that when people are so close to their websites and 
it's sort of blocking the view. Can't yeah. see the forest for the trees per se, for want of a better analogy. So, but it, and it's yeah. easy for us to say that. It but is, right yeah. now, I know my our own website for the search engine shop is missing pages that need to be on. Same, there. same here. Absolutely guilty as charged. We we, we don't always do the things um, that we know we should be because we're busy doing it for everybody else. So, but that's not an excuse, and it's not an excuse for anybody that you you know if you want to get the results, you've got to put in those. Um, things in place to, to get them. So easy peasy. And it makes it easier for advertising as well. Yeah. So you, know, you send you send in the Google AdWords traffic to the page that's relevant for what the person has searched on, not just sending them to the homepage or to a services page that has a whole list of things for people to try and find. That's just crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, SEO, start with the products and services you want to sell. You've got to have a page of content for each uh for each one of those products or services. You've got to have a page for each of your locations. You've got to be in Google Maps. Uh, and then you need links back to the site. And they really, in today's world, uh, it's very hard to shortcut that process and speed it up. Um, you know, I wouldn't expect to be seeing significant results before three months with a new SEO campaign. You might get some quick wins, but yeah, there's a, today, like, there's a risk there if you do shortcut things or do dodgy things, Google will penalise you and potentially. And when we say penalise, they give you a ranking penalty. So they'll rank you lower down on purpose because you've broken the rules um, and they've detected that. So there's a lot of risk with doing dodgy things and especially when you have companies that are guaranteeing rankings and things like that, then you may run into less than above board tactics. So. Yeah, and we've we've had that on a, on a joint client we've been working with who will remain nameless who had a website that was basically uh, having SEO done by some dodgy crew that were based, I'm not sure, I'm not, I'm not just going to say India for putting it on India's sake, but I think they actually were in India, but it was done through a local company that outsourced a lot of this stuff to an Indian crew and a lot of really dodgy SEO stuff. And when we say dodgy, it was having links coming from uh, other websites of disrepute in terms of Google's eyes or ill repute. Is disrepute a word? I just maybe made that up. But anyway, um, and we, we, you know, you and I, mainly you in this, in this regard, because it was the stuff you're doing for SEO, it wasn't fixable because it, it had been damaged for too long and was too entrenched. So we sort of had to start again. So, um, and that's often what people are going to face if they've had a lot of crap done on their websites in terms of bad SEO and bad link backs, then it may be easier for people to scrap it uh, as painful as that may seem and start all over with a fresh slate and get it done properly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. Bummer. I think there's enough SEO, right? Oh, it's never enough SEO. We just talk <laughs> SEO all the time, Brendan. But yes, we'll move on to the next thing. All right. Um, so, we, we've mainly, they, they've, the things we've been talking about there, so AdWords and SEO, uh, and we didn't really talk about the Google Display Network, but that's that, I mean that's Google AdWords as well using advertising. I do, have, I do have a separate bullet point for that. Separate bullet point. Okay, so we'll, we'll so we'll we'll go into that then because uh, at towards the end we're going to be talking about basic conversion optimization, and the conversion optimization comes after the traffic. So the next couple of points will. Are still traffic focused. So, are you happy talking about the basic conversion optimization at the end? Yep, sure. All right. So, um, we'll, we'll skip 
Google, because Google's getting way too much attention. Well, we haven't even talked about Facebook yet, and poor Facebook. They need, you know, they, they're getting so much attention and leverage these days and becoming a massive, massive player in the paid advertising space, which I think you and I always felt was going to happen eventually. Well, let's, I mean, we're talking about two things. All right, so we've talked about search engines, which is about capturing active demand. Yep. Uh, I so call good. it. I call it the scratch. They want scratch. to. They, they want to. Want to scratch the rich. So they sit down and type something in. So that's that's an instant uh, satisfaction thing that they have. So, yep. Whereas Facebook advertising is something different, which you're going to talk about now. So yeah, the, the other side of that is people who don't have active demand. Mm. So they need to be made aware of your product or service or your new solution, whatever it is. Yep. Or where you need to kind of stoke the fires of demand, like you have to make them actively want your stuff. Like you might have a new deal or a new promo or they might, you know, if you were doing a certain discount or a certain offer, then they might actually be interested in it. So, cool, um, yep. So that's where that, you know, I think being clear that one is about capturing demand and one is about creating demand or um, creating awareness. Uh, so different tools, different different jobs, right? So yeah. that's where yep. you look at Facebook ads and Google Display Network, like um, yeah, yeah. So Facebook advertising, uh, it's it's getting in front of people. To, I mean, Facebook advertising is probably closer to television advertising than anything else that exists today. Um, mm-hmm. On top of also YouTube advertising, because because people who are in their Facebook stream. And, and you know, I don't know what the average is now, but not long ago it was most people are spending at least 30 minutes a day on Facebook, which is pretty scary. So they're, they're getting exposed to that constant stream uh, and particularly with video advertising now with Facebook, that's really getting a huge bit of traction because people just can't help it. Yeah, and, and the sneaky thing with, with Facebook video advertising is the video is playing. You're not hearing the sound, but you're seeing the video. So it automatically sort of hooks you in. Mm-hmm. So uh, and plus the you know the the ads that are running in the in the side panel, etc., in the sidebar. So there's all sorts of ways that people are getting exposed to ads in, in Facebook. And if it's done correctly, and uh, you're targeting your marketplace correctly within the parameters of Facebook for the demographics then it's such a powerful way to get traffic. So mm-hmm. because Facebook's sneaky, you know, we know all the bits and pieces about people, what they do, what they had for breakfast, how old they are, where they live, whether they're getting married or divorced or, you know, <laughs> they're all talking about this stuff. That's the thing. People, when they sign up for Facebook, it makes me laugh, you know, the 20-page the um, agreement that you have to sign before you sign up for your account Basically, you're giving Facebook access to all of this stuff. This is all their content. Your content is technically their content. Uh, and they can use it pretty much how they like based on what you've just signed. So this is why you get advertised to all the time. <laughs> yeah. And people complain. They go, well, hey, look, if you don't like it, don't use Facebook. But if you're going to use Facebook, this is what's happening and this will continue to happen. And it's happening even more. Um, and you're going to get there's going to be more advertising bombarding you on a daily basis. Yep. So, yeah, it's just it's the way of the modern world. But there's also let's not forget there are other platforms that do advertising: Twitter, LinkedIn, 
basically anywhere there's eyeballs today, they're yeah. at. Absolutely, online. yep. And they're all adapting very quickly, uh, in particularly adapting for the mobile market space, which has been one of the biggest challenges is how to get in front of people on mobile because they, you know, they've got a smaller real estate space that people are looking at. Uh, and they're getting more intuitive now. It's interesting though, because I was watching one of my YouTube videos, channels that I watch. And at the start, the guy was saying, just a little side note. If you're watching this video and you enjoy the content, if you could switch off your ad blockers, because it's how this channel makes money, you know, direct. So, you know, ad blockers are becoming a big issue with, uh, with these types of uh, social media advertising because people are going, oh, I'll just you know, install an ad blocker system on my phone and it's, it's getting rid of a lot of the advertising that's popping up. So this is a constant challenge that, um, that we have with, with social media advertising. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what are our takeaways here? Use these channels for creating demand, creating awareness. Uh, you really need to, if your market is not there, there's no point being in the channel. So if you're a doctor, what, did, what was the problem you had gonorrhea in the last episode? <laughs> I, I didn't have it. Yes, that was your example. <laughs> it was an example that someone had. I didn't say I had it. Well, that was the example you used. So if you're a... Brendan, that's terrible. How, if you're how, how embarrassing. advertising gonorrhea treatments, maybe Facebook's not the place for that. I no, no. That's, yeah, and that was probably not a great example, but it <laughs> probably got a, a bit of attention. So... Um, yeah, but that's the thing, and that's a, it is an example. You're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be discussing necessarily a lot of your very personal things that happen uh, on Facebook that could be health related, or some people do, some people don't care. But there are limitations with what you can use on on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, and the audience has to be there, right? Uh, yeah, probably need to be aware yeah. that uh, there's some ad burnout as well. You yeah. can't just run the same ads forever. Just like print advertising, right? Yeah, we all see it. Um, I've got some stuff that I just keep switching off all the time because I uh, keep seeing the same crap from the same people. So, uh, okay, no, nah, this is just bad. And mm. so, um, yeah, you, 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 your target market has to be where you, you know, on these platforms. So if you're not um, doing your research properly to find out if they're on these platforms, then what's the point of putting all the time and effort into setting up advertising on them if there's no one who's going to see them soon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. True. Cool. So anything else to add? Any more thoughts there? No, that's it. Good thing. All right. So should we talk about basic conversion optimization? We should indeed. So uh, this, is again, is one of the, the things that uh, is frustrating in terms of people not thinking about it. They spend all the time and energy on their advertising, on Google, on Facebook, and then they send them through to a terrible website or a terrible landing page uh, that is not designed to convert that traffic that you just spent money on getting. Mm-hmm. So they don't have uh, an on- you know, a forward strategy in place to, to deal with that traffic and put them in some type of uh, sales funnel. Yep. And the thing I find that, that is probably lacking most with all of the 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 advertising that's done is I'll just send them through to a generic page that it could be about the you know the the keyword term or the subject that people have just typed on or searched on I should say and that's better than just sending them to the home page but the actual it's just a generic information page mm-hmm. uh, there isn't any call to action that's always a, a very 
big lacking area. So what yeah. do you find with that that's a that's lacking? Well, I think like I guess step one, be clear about what you want the visitor to do, right? Like uh it, like an easy one is like medical and dental practices, right? Yeah. yeah. So like what do you want the visitor to the website to do? Like really one of only a few things. One is pick up the phone and call you. Yep. Send an email or send a f- contact form request. Book online. Uh, you know, really you need like a real-time booking system if you're booking people online. Um, so some sort of book online, reserve, whatever it is, or buy online even. Uh, and then come to you physically, so your physical location. So for that type of business, then you've got four conversion points, so phone, email, visit, book. Um, and the website really needs to be built around that. So on the homepage, it probably is wise to have those four elements there um, and menu items for those four elements and probably phone number in the header on the website, probably a book online button in the header of the website. Yeah. Um, be clear if someone, because there's a common mistake that, you know, a lot of people make that you assume all the visitors are coming through the homepage, which more often than not, they're coming through another page, mm. an inside page first, like the services page you talked about. Yep. So yep. they search for their, in your example, the gonorrhea treatment, <laughs> the, the gonorrhea treatment page. It will haunt me forever. <laughs> what happens then, you know, <laughs> is there a book online form at the bottom of that page or does it say, to schedule an appointment about your gonorrhea problem. Yeah, or, or buy the his, <laughs> buy this gonorrhea cream that we solve. <laughs> oh, that's nasty. Okay, so yeah, but it, think of what it's like when you go to a website that doesn't give you the next step, and that's basically what we're talking about. The next step is phone, fill in the contact form, download a free report. Order a product. Here's the here's the link. Buy now. You know you're you're saying right. Here's the information. This is what we offer. Here's the next step. And if you yeah. don't have a next step, if they just like if they're left a dead end road and they've read all this stuff or looked at information and that and there's no clear next step, how are they supposed to engage with you and buy your product or book your service? It seems again another very obvious thing, but it is hugely lacking. In a lot of uh, websites, we see both e-commerce sites or service-based sites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so always, so regardless, always see you need to keep the customer in the loop. What's the next step? Um, and there's easy ways to see gaps uh, in your own systems. One is we do this with e-commerce businesses. Have the have the business owner go through the checkout, or we do it for them, and you can see there's massive gaps often and easy wins. Um, the other one is using, we've talked about on other episodes, tools like Lucky Orange, where you can actually see videos of the visitors on the website. And just by, you could watch 10 of those videos. Just to be clear, so, you know, we're not actually seeing the person who's on the website. No. We're seeing their activity. their activity on the website. Just in case people were freaking out and go, oh, my God. Not their webcam. We're switching on their webcam and watching them sit there half naked while they <laughs> search through your e-commerce website. We're not talking about that. Awesome. Just wanted to be clear. Yes, probably a good point. But uh, yeah, I mean, you can see stuff. You can see the mouse movements. You can see them scrolling up and down. They're moving their mouse. You can see a lot of stuff, which can be quite uh, freaky when you've seen you've never seen that before. But um, yeah, it is very very spy like. But uh, you know, your identity as a person, you don't. All I know is the tracking an IP address. But they're not. They don't know who you are. They know they know what you're doing as a user, though. That's the thing. So, um, 
So that's where remarketing and various other things are all putting tracking codes on you in your browser. Yep. And get to have all this information be available to us as marketers, which is wonderful. Yep. So uh do you want to talk about remarketing? Because that kind of ties into conversion. Remarketing and email marketing are probably closely related in a sense, I suppose, that we should probably touch on briefly. Yeah. Well, in terms of remarketing, which we've spoken about before, it's the ability to get back in touch with visitors that you would potentially have lost who come to the site, don't take any of the expected or preferred actions, and then they leave. And that's 96% of visitors typically across websites on the internet. So... When they come through and we've got what we call a remarketing cookie, so that tracking code that I mentioned earlier is on uh, your website and it uh, will then put that tracking code on the visitor's browser, which will then enable us to show them advertising at a specific time or place in the future to uh, bring them back to the site if it was a missed opportunity. And it could be be uh, because they... We were on an e-commerce site and they had a, they didn't, uh, they exited the shopping cart. So we can, you know, put tracking codes on there to get them back. Um, all sorts of combinations. We can set up very specific uh, custom audiences. So we can target just particular pages on the site. We can target the home page. We can target the shopping cart. All sorts of variations of uh, how we can get back in front of the, the visitor. So, uh, so that is one way. So remarketing is a very popular way and getting even more popular as time goes by for, for doing that, picking up those missed opportunities. But then, of course, there's a good old steadfast, been around forever uh, email marketing side, which is uh, a different way of getting back in front of people. So I'll let you talk about email marketing, Brendan. Yeah, well, I guess email marketing in the corporate space is often done pretty poorly and it's done very corporate-like. Um, mm. Often is not very effective. So, I get. I mean, we have a whole episode um, around email marketing, but I guess probably the biggest one is to be personal. So, write it as if you're writing to one, even though you might be a big corporate company, you still need to be writing it as if, well, the most effective email is going to be a one on one kind of style. So, the email written as if it's being written to one person, not being sent to 100,000 people. Yeah. So I'd say that's probably the number one thing to do um, and just take out all the corporate noise over formatting. Like if it, the closer to a personal email that your email marketing uh, seems like, the more effective it's generally going to be because when you email someone personally from your mailbox, you don't include, you might include an attachment as a picture, but you're not going to include a bunch of formatting. It's not going to be laid out like a magazine. Um, you know, it's not going to be hugely complex. Now there are exceptions but generally speaking, the more simple the formatting, the better. If it's written on the one-on-one style, the better. Yeah. But generally, email marketing is almost always underdone or done poorly by big organizations. So um, it generally is probably the cheapest marketing channel you have mm. because the cost to send 100,000 emails is 100 bucks maybe in some time uh, or a couple of hundred bucks for an email tool. Um, and yeah, it's easy to capture emails off a website. So, um, yeah, I don't know how deep you want to go into it, but I think that's, we have a whole episode on it, so we can reference that in the show notes. I think if someone wants to dig deeper on it, I think that'd be wise because it is quite a deep subject, like all of the different components we've talked about, which we can 
link to uh, for, for further details and in-depth stuff. But in terms of email marketing, yeah, most people do it uh, incorrectly as far as I'm concerned anyway because what you don't want when you get on an email marketing list, and it's very difficult to get, first of all, people to opt into an email list these days. It's harder and harder to get that happening. And then you've got to compete with all the noise in their inbox from everyone else who's trying to get their attention. So you've really got to come from a perspective of providing high value in your emails. So they're going to want to read them, not just pitching them something straight off the bat, which is what I get all the time. You go, oh, crap, here we go. I've signed up to get some good stuff, and now they're just pitching me an, uh, an event that's coming up or a new product launch or something. So, And people just go, ah, and then they hit the unsubscribe button, and you've wasted all that time. So whereas if, they're, if they keep getting stuff from you that's um, beneficial to them and, they, and they'll keep reading it, then when you do have something to put forward, you've got a much better chance of getting that across the line. Probably the one more thing I'd add is don't send it from a no reply email address. It's just, that's nuts. Um, people want to reply to emails, invite them to reply and have the email reply actually go to somebody. Good point. Yeah, yep. that, that is a big thing that annoys me is you get those and it's just it's just complete. It, well, first of all, it, it completely loses any personal touch that was perceived yep. and uh, yeah, limits the person, as you said, to be able to get back and respond you want to be able to have that two-way interaction yeah i mean in today's world there's technology available so that those responses can go to customer service and they can be handled appropriately yep yeah so uh should we recap quickly go for it uh all right so what are we talking about we've talked about uh maps listing on the three major maps platforms for all physical locations so google apple and bing Mm mm-hmm uh, we've talked about AdWords, so yep. Google AdWords for search, Google's paid advertising platform, the search engines, uh, and generally is uh, cheaper, uh, faster, more versatile, more controlled than more traditional advertising channels like TV, print, uh, radio. We have talked about SEO, so SEO has really changed over the last few years, so the keyword approach is kind of outdated. Keywords are important, yes, but... It's not the starting point. You should be really starting with what the I guess the focus is, what do you want to achieve, what do you want to sell. Yep. We have talked about, uh, broadly talked about display ads, so Google Display Network, Facebook ads, and then LinkedIn, Twitter, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and really that the, the idea there is the people need to be on the platform or your prospects need to be on that platform, and it really is about raising awareness, creating awareness, creating demand as opposed to capturing it. Uh, what else we talked about? We've talked about uh, basic or conversion optimization basics. So simple stuff, being clear about what you want the customer to do when they get to the website. Um, and a tool like Lucky Orange and even live chat, we, had a, we didn't talk about that, but we had a whole episode about live chat and how you can use yeah. that strategically to see what's going on the website. So we'll link up to that. Um, that's a very cheap way of getting uncovering easy wins with the site. And then we just ranted about email marketing for the last Rant. <laughs> Ranted. We didn't rant. <laughs> well, in that case, that was what we did for the whole episode because uh, uh, it's stuff that we are constantly having to get across to our clients. So, yeah. And think of your marketplace and things you take for granted and things that you just sort of automatically know because you've been doing them for X amount of years. 
Um, and that's typically what we find is this stuff seems like it would be common knowledge to us, but it's not, which is one of the reasons we're doing the podcast. So a lot of these basic things are just being completely missed. So um, you know, people make assumptions because it's a, a big size company that they have all this sort of stuff locked down, but quite often they're the worst offenders because yeah. um, they're very slow to adapt and they, they have a, often a lack of internal communication between, as we said from the beginning, the, the marketing team and the sales team. So, yeah. The thing about um, these points as well, like in a small business, they might not necessarily be a huge shift in the needle, but for a bigger business that has its own marketing team or sales team, they're fairly small things. But because of the scale of the business, you know, this might be a $50 million business. So a 5%, 10% win from a sales and marketing perspective in a business of that size is pretty substantial. So yeah, yeah. while a small business might, you know, discount the benefit of the, you know, really refining down like maps listings and, you know, having really high quality photos on there, a bigger business would see a much more, a much bigger benefit from, you know, that real attention to detail. So. Mm. I mean, it's easy for us to spend an hour and rattle off these points like they're nothing and it takes an hour to implement them. But like one, even something as simple as getting maps listings lined up in a franchise business or big business as 10 or 20 locations, that could be easily be a three-month project just to get that up to a, a basic bare minimum standard. So, uh, mm. yeah, I mean, you could take up you know any one of these points and make it a three-month project in a bigger business quite easily and see really significant results like, you know, benefit in the millions. So, you know, they might be easy to discount at face value, but I think if you really – and you can – we have episodes on most of these. So, yeah. I mean, if, if you're listening and you're kind of thinking, oh, yeah, that doesn't really matter, but, you know, when you take the scale of that business into account, they actually can make a huge difference. So, Yep, yep. Incremental changes can have a big impact at the end. So yep. um, don't discount those, those fractional improvements along the way because exponentially they add up. So – Awesome, dude. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you for bringing up the gonorrhea subject again. It was very helpful. Hey, hey that was you who started <laughs> hey, that. that was... No, it wasn't. No, you told me to say it in that other episode. You said, Ed, I dare you. I dare you to say. That is a lie. Don't believe him, people. <laughs> He's a bad influence on me. I'm a nice guy, Ed. Don't I know you like are. That. You're a lovely guy, Brendan. So thanks, mate. Appreciate your time as always. And uh, thank you the listener, for listening. Um, you may have switched off a long time ago as soon as you mentioned the gonorrhea, but anyhow, <laughs> we'll uh, catch you on the next episode. Thanks, mate. See ya. See ya. You've been listening to The Business Marketing Show. You can find us at businessmarketingshow.com on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher.